0: the book of Philippians chapter 1 and we'll start at verse 27. Sunday night we shared the greatness of the Christian and we were able to look at the Apostle Paul's example concerning the greatness of a Christian in that He wanted to magnify Christ in his body, make Christ more clearly known through his life, no matter what he was going through. At the time he was in prison, he was awaiting possible execution. He was innocent. But his first concern was magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ through his life. And that that to the greatness of a Christian. And as we continue tonight, we're talking about the greatness of the church. And in Philippians 1, starting in verse 27, he says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that of God. For unto you it is given, in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me in the last text we shared there seemed to be an indication Paul was starting to have a confidence that he just might be Free of these charges that have come against him he wouldn't be free of those charges for his own relief but he would be free of those charges for the sake of God's people to be able to encourage them to strengthen them to be a help for them now that was a prophecy that he was going to be free of those charges that was a probably going on So he could not guarantee that he was ever going to be able to see this church at Philippi again. So everything he wrote to them was of such great importance. He touched on matters that that he wanted to speak to them about as though he may never speak to them again and be able to guide them again. So he wanted to share the most important things he could so that they could be a great church. As I say that, Philippi was a great church. They were dear to Paul's heart. They they communicated with Paul, and they met his needs without being asked. They were the only ones to do it for a time, and they were glad to meet Paul's needs. He loved them in many other ways because the church was operating as it should as a great church. But it gives words that they might become an even greater church. I mean, they could either be great and just be content where they are, or they could become even greater. I, I don't think contentment belongs in ministry for Jesus. I believe it belongs in the things that we have and the things that were provided for us to live with. We need to be content with those things, but never when it comes to ministry. Jesus. So therefore, in Paul's, in his mind, possible last words to them, he shows them the next couple of steps on the ladder of themselves as a church, that they might become an even greater church. And we can consolidate these steps into two points tonight. Two things That brings the church to greatness. Not the only two things. But two things that we see in our text this evening. And that is everyone in unity. And it is also enduring persecution. Greatness as a church. Enduring persecution. But we'll first start with everyone in unity. I looked up a group of people called pygmies. And if you're not familiar with pygmies, they're an abnormally small, short people group in Africa. And they are known for hunting. That's what they do. They hunt. And this pygmy is standing on top of a rhinoceros. That rhinoceros is dead. And a man comes up, and he sees this. Giant rhinoceros and this little piggy man on top of it. And he said, Did you kill that? He said, I sure did. He said, How did you kill it? With my club? How big is you your club? There's about a hundred of us. <laughs> There's power in unity. Amen. Law and unity. A lot of enemies can be defeated when the church. Is gathered together in unity. And as we look. We see this only in verse 27. Explains a a lot of the need for unity here. And the instruction that Paul is giving. And you will see the word conversation come up. Pretty quick there in the verse. And when Paul talks to them about their conversation. He's talking to them about the way they live their life. Their lifestyle. And that word conversation, it also means citizenship. The Christian citizenship is in heaven. And he's talking about the church being unified by living their life in such a manner as they should. And and the church can be unified because we're all citizens of the same place for eternity already. Philippi was no doubt very familiar with that word whenever whenever they got this letter and they read that because they were a Roman colony. They were a colony of Rome. And they were fanatics of Rome as a colony. I mean, any other surroundings around them that tried to influence them or dictate them to do things Differently than that of Rome, they would listen to it. They would budge and they wouldn't go for it. They were a faithful colony of Rome, no matter what their surroundings were. And here we are in this wretched, fallen world, and it's all around us. But you and I are citizens of heaven. And we are to be influenced by heaven with our lives. And that brings unity To you and I. When we conduct ourselves. In such a way. That it reflects our ultimate citizenship. Which is in glory. With the Lord already. We need to be loyal to heaven. With our conduct. And when we do. We're going to be more unified. We're all different. And I love our differences. In so many ways. But there are many many ways that the born again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who is living for him and serving in his church are going to have many many similarities in their lives as well and that's what brings unity the closer we get to Jesus the more we are going to be unified and that's the church of greatness right there a church that is unified we must keep Close ties with heaven. We must consider our citizenship. We must be bold with the title that goes with our citizenship. We're Christians. We should, we should say that boldly. There's a lot of people who say they are Christians and they're not Christians. But, but you are rightly claiming who you are and what your title is as a citizen of heaven. So a grave of conduct... Is going to bring you and I closer together in unity and the whole church closer together in unity. But not only that, you see the gospel of Christ also in this verse. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. We're all going to heaven by way of the gospel. Our hope is in the gospel after you heard the gospel. And I'm talking about, I'm talking about every Christian in this room. We have that in common. And it's very becoming for a Christian to wear the gospel. Alright? Tim had a red shirt on Sunday morning. I'm right on yes, I didn't say anything about it, but it looked good. It was, it was suitable on you. The color was good on you, I guess, and it just it was fitting for him. Amen. And the gospel is becoming for the Christian. We ought to wear, we're not just to talk the gospel, we're to walk the gospel, and we're to wear the gospel. Romans 13 14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The idea of putting on that. Ideal of, of it being a habit. It being a habit that you wear the gospel. Some of you had grandparents that wore overalls all the time and they wore their habit every day. You'd ask one man who wants to go hunting and he would say, Every time you go to his house, well, just let me get my hat. I mean, exactly he's out the door in one minute. You surprise him, just let me get my hat. And I'm ready to go. He put on his habit. And that's to be the gospel in our lives. It is fitting for the Christian. To wear the truth of the gospel. And it brings unity. Let's sum this unity up. With a ground of commonness. As we continue in verse 27. He says that whether. I come and see you. Or else be absent. I may hear of your affairs. That you stand fast. In one spirit. With one mind. Striving together. For the faith of the gospel, one spirit. We sing a song sometimes. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and and we definitely ought to have that. And the Holy Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit in our lives as well. We're of one spirit. I mean to be to be a church member here is to be a Christian, and to be a Christian is to be saved by Jesus Christ, and to be saved by Jesus Christ is having the Holy Spirit of God living and dwelling within you, one one spirit, and there is to be a reaction of a sweet spirit in this place. Titus 3 5 says, we're saved by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit indwelling makes there to be a sweet spirit in this place, and that brings unity. We're not only of one spirit, we're of one mind. We have a purpose here of carrying out the commands and the commission of Christ. That's, that's what our mission is. That's what our purpose is all together. We're to be of one mind in this. We're all to be here for the furtherance of the gospel. And when we go out these doors, it is to be for the furtherance of the gospel. And we're to be minded in such a way. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says that we all have the mind of Christ. And that could turn into a one-hour lecture to talk about all of that, but nevertheless, it means it means unity for you and all, you and I all, that we have the mind of Christ. The world is fussing, the world is fighting, they're splitting, they're dividing, they're they're feuding with one another, and they're killing one another, and the church is not to act that way. And the church doesn't have to act that way, and God's made provision provision for the church that every Christian does not have to be that way and act that way. That's not to be what we wear. That's not becoming of us. That's not suitable for our lives to be as the world is with all the fighting and the splitting. We have a foundation for living in the greatness of unity with one spirit, with one mind, with one heart, with one purpose. The church gathered in unity. Paul wrote to Florida. and he said in First 1 Corinthians one ten, "But now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among among you, that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment." When he wrote to the church at Ephesus in, in Ephesians. He says to be endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Peter says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. We are to struggle together in the battles of life and in the war that we face in this world. We're to do it in cooperation with one another for the faith of the gospel. Jesus Christ is worth and, and his importance and our mind being on him and our mind being changed by him is going to bring us together to do such a thing in cooperation with one another. A great church is a church where everyone's in unity That's how Paul's leading Philippi and it's good for us today. But a great church also endures persecution. Look at verses 28 through 30. Let's read those again. It says, And nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. The greater the church, the heavier the persecution may be. The greater the church, the more conflict there may exist. Of course, not. But when we're really taking that stand for Christ, you know, as, as Paul was writing to churches, the, the churches of Galatia, there were some people who were in the church. I don't know if they on the membership roll, but they were unsaved. They were Judaizers. They just came in to try to, to try to corrupt the Christians in the church. So it will go on in the church So, But, but whether, no matter what the case may be, we're going to of persecution. A great church is going. of a great church enduring persecution is going to be courageous and fearless. That's going to be the character of a great church. It has to be for what the church will face. A great church stands for Christ and is opposed by a very corrupt world and we're not to be terrified it says. Now, Philippi was a great church, so they weren't running and hiding from their enemies. You understand? So that word "terrified" it sounds really strong and really harsh, and sometimes it is in the Bible. But in this case, it's not so harsh a word. It's more of a mild word. They're not to be startled is what that means. Don't be startled and shaken up whenever persecution comes upon you, church. Just four thoughts, things we can think of to help you and I as the church to keep from being shaken up during times of persecution. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Draw trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When the world persecutes the church, God is going to use that as an opportunity to draw them to be saved. So what happened with Paul? It's exactly what happened with Paul. I'm read it without comment and you'll get it as we go along. Acts chapter 9 and Saul Yet, waving out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he be found, that if he found any of this way, Jesus is the way. Christians, years and years ago, were called the way hush. So, so if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them back to Jerusalem. And as they journeyed, he came into Damascus, and suddenly there shining out about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to hit against the bricks. And he trembled and astonished said Lord what will you have me to do God is going to use persecution as an opportunity to bring someone to him so don't be shaken up over the persecution that comes your way in becoming a great and greater church persecution persecution What would we call that? A sign of salvation. Sign of our salvation. The fact that we are being persecuted. And if we're enduring it courageously and fearlessly, it's a a sign that we're being strengthened by the Holy Spirit of God. And we're walking with Him. And we're, we're, we're coming into what He is molding as greatness in His church. Persecution is a privilege. Now, I've never known anyone who's gone out seeking to suffer. Can't say that. But when we suffer persecution, we're suffering for Christ. We're suffering for the one who suffered for us in such a way that we will never suffer. For unto you it is given. In the behalf of Christ. Not only to believe on him. And be saved. But then also to suffer. For his sake. It's an honor and a privilege. To represent Christ. In all of his greatness. And we're never to deny him. We're never to be ashamed of him. and all that might come our way. As a result of believing in him. Even when we're cornered, even when we're outnumbered, don't be ashamed of Christ. Amen. I'll never forget the young lady that said, "Oh, nobody says they're a Christian in college class. Nobody does that." I said, "Take me with you. I will." We should never be ashamed Amen. for the name of Christ. Someone wasn't in college class. And I won't repeat the things that were said of hatred to this person, but it was vicious. Praise God for the one that stood for Christ and took that persecution rather than, I'm not going to say, a Christian college class. Thank God for that one who stood up. We're going to rule and we're going to reign with Christ soon after he comes to the clouds. And we have no greater privilege than to stand for him now. We don't have to be shaken for because of Paul's example. He suffered stripes on his back. He suffered in prison. He took 39 stripes five times because it was against the law to give 40. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. A night and a day and a deed. He was in perils and dangers of waters, of robbers, of his own countrymen, of the heathen, of the city, of the wilderness, of the sea, of false brethren. In weariness, he suffered persecution, painfulness, and hunger, and thirst, and cold, and nakedness, and the care of all the churches. Paul had so much care upon his heart. For the churches because they were suffering persecution. And Paul was taking inward marks. He took a lot of outward marks with those things I just said a list of. But then there were the inward marks within for his care of all the churches. He suffered and he bore all of this for Christ. And he did not bear all of this persecution in our place. But he did bear all this persecution, and it's in our face. That it might be that example for you and I. That we would be willing to see it and understand it and experience it as a privilege to suffer for the holy, glorious, most wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people around us daily who will never trust Christ. And though we're kind to them, and though we're full of grace to them, if we're living for Christ, they ought to be irritated with you. I'm not saying that we ought to make a name for that. I'm just saying that you can be as lovely and as kind as you can to them, but if you stand for Christ, going to, it's going to be so bothersome to those who are around. That ought to be the case. If we have no persecution as Christians, if we have no persecution as a church, we're way too passive. It constantly went on in Paul's life. Look there at verse 30. Having the same conflict which you saw in me, so they so know the persecution in Paul's past and the, and the constant story that went on. And then, even now, as he's in prison, he's in prison for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and innocence. But he says, You saw it in me, and now you're here to be in me. Right now in the present. A church in greatness
1: will suffer persecution.
0: I'll start closing with something else Peter said. Chapter, 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. In other words let me take that back to that word terrified and and not being startled. Don't think it's strange when this stuff starts happening or is happening to you which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you but rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed Ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached to the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is equal spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. And that's what's most important. That's, that, that takes all of the attention, and that's where all of our focus should be. That God's being glorified for something that we're suffering for, that's nowhere near what the precious Son of God suffered for, for you and I. Unification and persecution. Two things that Paul was saying as if he were never going to have an opportunity again to say something to the church so that they can, as a great church might become greater. Unification and and persecution. Remember these two things. Think about these two things. Work hard for unity. And and, and take it hard when there's persecution that comes upon you. May we have an understanding of of these two qualifications. For greatness as a church. Sometimes people get to a place of the job and they just talked out, can't go anymore. It, it's not that way. It's not that way in the work of God. There's no ceiling on what God can do with all of us. And, and so individual greatness as a Christian ought to be the focus and, and greatness in and unity and in persecution as a church altogether, that God will make us greater and greater. Well, I'm I'm enjoying this study.